All right, go ahead and have a seat, you guys. We'll get started here. As you're sitting down, if you want to, you can turn to uh, Psalm chapter 90. That's where we'll be uh, hanging out today. Uh, if I haven't got a chance to meet you, my name's Jake. Good to meet you. Uh, we're going to be starting a new series today. Uh, we are starting a new series called Balance. Uh, if you look in the Bible, you're not going to find that word inside of there. Uh, the principles are all over the place, but it's kind of like the word Trinity. You don't find that in the Bible, but theologically speaking, that's all over the place as well. Um, but so is balance. And so here's why we're talking about this new topic of balance. All of us, or most of us, can give an account, or we could talk about how damaging it is when somebody loses balance inside of their life, that they take a big fall, that they're pushing things to the limits, and then unfortunately they go over the edge, and, and, and it's destruction that happens at that point. We want to try to avoid that, right? Because when balance is lost, I heard this said before, when balance is lost, a fall is the cost. That was never more true for me than in 2006 when I was... 30 years old, and I was standing at the top of a half pipe about ready to drop in on a skateboard. Some of you know this story, some of you do not, but I was a youth pastor, and youth pastors do stupid things, right? That's what they do, and so we, for the sake and the love of our students, we drop in on half pipes, and the funny thing about this whole thing was is that I had grown up with a half pipe in my house, so I actually, in my backyard, not in my house, that'd be amazing, we had a really big house, um, but I used, to, I used to know how to skate. And so when we were to do this, this, this video, the whole point was to show the students how cool your youth pastor is, but I was too confident. If you're a skateboarder, you know this. When you drop it on a half pipe, most people their first time, they fall backwards because they're scared. But I was too aggressive. And I went forward, and I lost my balance, and this is what happened. Here you go. <laughs> laugh at that, right? You laugh at my pain. I don't get that. I don't get why it is. You see all these fail videos all over YouTube, right? And everybody's laughing at when they fall. I thought it was hilarious when my dad used to fall or hurt himself. That was the funniest thing in the world. And now my kids laugh at me if I trip or something like that. But man, the truth is it's not that funny, right? Falling hurts. It absolutely hurts. And I'm going to give you a little warning. If you have a weak stomach, I don't want you to look at this picture, but here's what happened to me. Okay. I went through, I went through five surgeries, three years of physical therapy. And I'm telling you this, every morning I wake up, especially when it's cold, my arm still hurts. I do not have full range of motion. It's after three years of therapy. So I can turn my hands like this, but I cannot turn it any farther than that right there. That's the farthest I can go. I have to compensate by turning my arm out because I lost my balance in 2006, that many years ago, right? Like 11 years ago, I lost my balance and bang, it hurts. And that's physical, right? That's the physical side of things. 
But when we lose our balance, right, when the stakes are so much higher when it comes to things like family, if you lose your balance in your family or you lose balance in friendship or you lose your balance um, in your faith, right, that is huge. And that is so much more painful than if you were to just trip on the sidewalk. And so what we're going to do is we're going to tackle a few topics in this series. And the the topic we're going to hit next week is the topic of rest. We're going to talk about balancing rest in our life. And some of you are like, wait, what is that? You know, well, come out next week. We're just going to take a big nap for the whole entire service. That's how it's going to work. Wouldn't that be amazing, preschool again? Bring your sleeping bag, baby. Here we go. We'll do it. But next week, we're going to talk about balancing rest into our equation. And then the following week, we're going to talk about balancing our checkbooks, money. Um, I can't tell you, honestly, out of all the topics, that's the one I'm most excited about. And I'll explain more as we go along in uh, in in the series. But today, we're going to talk about balancing our time. Balancing our time. Time is our most valuable commodity. It is, and it is so valuable. Think about this. We actually refer to it or speak at it in terms of money, right? We talk about how do you spend your time, or I'm going to try and save time, or I'm going to invest my time in this. Some people think you waste your time. Like this last Wednesday, I hung out all day and did the camping out to be the first 100 at Chick-fil-A with my daughter. Um, Yeah. So um, we went there, some would pay, that's a total waste of time. You spent a whole day camping in a parking lot. Dude, the memories I made with my daughter are so worth it. Not only that, I felt like it was time well spent because I have chicken free for a year, baby. That's exactly right. So there you go. People are clapping about that. I don't know why. It just doesn't make sense. But that's the thing. Some time, we spend time, we waste time, we give time. It's so important. So when it comes to time, here's kind of our inclination, or at least it's my inclination. It's, I would guess it's probably yours. And that's this, is that we have a tendency to do so much, right, that we rarely enjoy much of what we do. We're going so fast. It's go, go, go. It's cram, cram, cram. It's run, run, run. It's, it's like calendars. It's like task lists. It's get up early in the morning, but we also got to stay up late. We're driving too fast. We don't have time, so let's grab food in the car. Um, we got to get to that recital, and I mean, you know, you're going to watch your kids, but you're like, I want to just come in and slide in the back and watch it when they're up. I don't want to watch the other 40 kids play their piano lesson, so I'm just going to tell me when you're up, and I'll come there for that, right? Right? We're trying to be strategic about our time. And then we get a chance to rest, right? Hopefully we get a chance to rest. And we go on vacation. But how many of you have said this? Because I know I've said this. I need a vacation from my vacation. Right? We waste our time. We could rest in those moments, but we're, we're not resting. Um, when we're at work, we're thinking about, man, I got to be home. And when we're at home, we're thinking, I got so much work to do. It's crazy. Our pace, especially in this area. In Eatonville, where I grew up, it was a lot slower. But here, man, it is go, go, go. And the pace is, is downright scary. And so this topic, right? to talk about the idea of balancing time. It's almost like a joke. Like, I don't have time to think about how to balance my time. And that's where we're at, right? So what do we do? We got to address this issue. There's several approaches we could take. We could talk about time management, like go to a seminar, do something like that, but those don't work. They don't work because they're just trying to sell you something, and in their version, you know, what they want you to do is based on their personality, so it doesn't 
quite transfer all the time. We could talk about calendars. We could talk about pacing. But today what I want to do is I want to look at God's word. I want to open it up and I want to look at one passage, just one passage. And in this passage is a principle, is an application that I truly think, hear me on this, could change your life. And you're thinking, that's great preacher talk. Preachers say that all the time, Jake. Here's why it could change your life. is because it has the potential to change your time. And our time, we know this, is our life. It is our life. As our time goes, so goes our life. So this principle, this passage, has the chance to change your life because it has the opportunity to change your time. And so let's look at it, right? This passage, this principle, this pearl of wisdom is in Psalms 90, Psalm 90. And when you think of the Psalms, right, what do you guys, who do you guys normally think of? David, right? We're actually going to look at a Psalm written by none other. This nugget of wisdom comes from Moses. So if you've been in church for a while, you're thinking, what? Moses wrote a Psalm? He did. He actually wrote down a prayer in Psalm 90. And here's why we should listen to Moses. Famous guy, right? First off, one of the reasons we got to listen to him is because he lived 120. He lived to be 120. So he knows a little something about time. But he lived kind of this crazy life. He lived four lives, really. The first life he lived, because he was born a Hebrew, but yet he was adopted into Egyptian household under Pharaoh. So he's kind of like this prince of Egypt. He got the silver spoon. He got anything he wanted. It's plasma television. It's the high life. Everything was grand. Everything was great until he grew up one day and then he murdered someone, which, you know, is never good. You don't want to do that. So he murders someone and he has to run. And so he runs across the wilderness and he ends up becoming a shepherd. And talk about going from a high life to a slow life of a shepherd. You wake up in the morning and you're with the sheep, right? And then you stay all day with the sheep and then guess what you do? You go to sleep next to the sheep. That is his life, day in and day out. He doesn't need a watch because he knows whatever time it is, he's with the sheep. He doesn't have a lot to do, just make sure they don't run off all over the place. And here's the thing you need to think about when you think about Moses, is that Moses didn't know the end of Moses' life. Like when we read the story, we're like, oh yeah, well Moses is going to become this great thing. But Moses is a shepherd for 40 years. 40 years. And he's thinking, this is it. I ruined my life. This is all that I have in this lifetime is to be a shepherd. And then the third chapter of his life comes in. He, uh, he runs into a burning bush. And a lot of us know this part of the story. He's called on to be the mouthpiece of God, and he heads back to Egypt. He confronts Pharaoh. It's, you know, at this point, there's pillars of fire, there's famines, there's frogs. It's crazy. And, and, and he finally comes into being someone, saying those famous words, let my people go. Let God's people go. And eventually, Pharaoh does. He lets people go. And so then Moses runs into the fourth part of his life where he becomes the leader of a nation, right? He's the leader of this nation. And he's leading these people out of Egypt into God knows where. And the, and the truth is God is the only one who knows where they're going, right? They're going to the promised land. But yet 
This is another 40 years of his life where he hears complaining and whining and doing circles in the middle of the wilderness for 40 years. And eventually God gives him the grace. He gives him the ability to see the promised land. He takes him right to the edge and he's like, Moses, you can see it, but that's it. That's the end of your life. You don't get to go in to the promised land. And that's Moses' life. He, has a, he lived a full life. He lived like four lives. And he, as a result, has a wise perspective when it comes to time. Because he lived the high life and he lived the slow life. And so in the 90th Psalm, he shares that with us. And so let's read that now. Verse 1. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And what he's doing is he's talking about the nation of Israel, how God had been with them from generation to generation. He continues, before the mountains were born, which is a crazy cool thought, before the mountains were born or before you brought forth the whole world, so he's a creationist, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You gotta hear that, that's huge. That is the framework, right? Everlasting to everlasting. Those are the bookends. That is the context that he has given us. He's given us the context not just for who God is, but for our lives as well. All of life is from everlasting to everlasting. That is God. And our world is right here somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle of the context to everlasting to everlasting is us. Verse 3. It says, you, speaking of God, I love this verse. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. That is like the greatest Gandalf statement in the whole Old Testament right there. Return to dust, you shall not pass, right? <laughs> now today, if we were to read that, and it's like, you return people to dust, does he cause death? Does he allow it? Does he just know about it? It doesn't go into detail here, but it could seem a little offensive, right? In our day and age. But this is just Moses's way. It wasn't offensive back then. This is just Moses's way of saying God controls the beginning and the end. And he has input on the length of our lives. He knows the number of our days. He has something to do with that. And just about everybody I've ever run into feels this way. They find, I find it interesting that most people believe this, that God has something to do with the length of our lives, even if they don't believe in God. And here, I can prove it to you. Because if someone, or if you, or someone who doesn't know Jesus, right, were to get a, a terminal illness, would you pray? And most people pray at that point in time, thus revealing that somewhere deep inside, they, they believe that God has something to do with the number of their days. And so if you have that, would you pray? Yes. And so God has something to do with the number of our days. He continues, Moses says, a thousand years in your sight, or in God's sight, are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch, which is like three to four hours. So a watch in the night. And I think this is, this is crazy to think about. Because when we were kids, right? When we were kids, time stood still. It really did. Those summer days were long, so long. You could even go take a nap halfway through, and then you'd wake up, and you still have half a day left, 
right? It was amazing. And then, you know, you're getting in car rides with your parents, and they were long, you know, like, Mom, are we there yet? Mom, are we there? Mom, are we there? No, we're not there. Oh, this is taking forever. Everything took forever. Christmas Eve, right? Man, that day wouldn't go by. I mean, it wouldn't, I mean, it was, you couldn't wait for Christmas. Time stood still when you were a kid. And now, as adults, we look at time and it just flies by. We're like, what? It's Christmas again? Like, holy crap, I got to go shopping? Didn't we open presents yesterday? You know, kind of thing. It flies by. And so think about this in the context of how God feels. He is saying he is everlasting to everlasting. And a thousand years to us is like three and a half hours to him, is what he says in his word. Three and a half hours. And because I'm a full-fledged nerd, I had to do the math, okay? So that means this. That means it is nine and a half months to every one second that we experience. Nine and a half months is how long it is for God to one second. And so ladies, think about how wonderful childbirth would be, right? That if my wife would be freaking out right now, it's conception and 1,000 and we're done. You have a baby. There you go. That would be amazing, nine and a half months to every one second. Verse five, here's what Moses says. He's saying, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass, the new grass of the morning. And what he's doing is he's talking about us, me and you. We are the new grass. In the morning, it or we spring up, but by evening, it is dry and withered. Now, obviously, Moses didn't live in the state of Washington because anything that grows in grass stays growing because it's, there's no such thing as getting dry and withered on this side of the mountains. So the perspective falls a little bit short here, but Moses is trying to give us perspective. He's saying to me and to you, he's saying our lives, what we worry about, what we stress about, what is so important to us, we're like grass, Right? Just a little piece of grass that comes up in the, in the morning. And then by afternoon, the sun hits it and we die, right? He's saying that's our lives. At one moment, we're this cute little baby. And the next thing we know, we're elderly and we're passing away after 80 years. And it's like that, right? We live and then we die and it's so quick. Moses is so uplifting, right? He just, uh, so uplifting. So, and it gets worse, right? It gets worse. Here's what he says. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them, so catch this, these are our best years, are but trouble and sorrow. I don't think Moses is a half glass kind of full type of guy. You know what I mean? So he is, he is saying, and, and why would he be? He has experienced the up and downs of life to the extreme. When you say what he's walked through, 40 years of watching sheep, man, I'd be depressed too. You know, if that was my world, that was my life, 40 years of listening to people whine and complain about what God has done when he walked them across a sea, I mean, that's crazy. And so Moses can speak into this, and he goes on and he says, for they, and he's speaking about, the, the best years that are trouble and sorrow. He says, they quickly pass and we, we fly away. How many of you growing up in church ever heard the song, All Fly Away, right? This verse is where that song comes from. That's where this comes from. But here's Moses' point. He says, our time, my time, your time, our life, my life, your life, it passes quickly. 
we are here today, and then we blink, and then it's gone tomorrow. In the scope of everlasting to everlasting, our life is a fraction of a second. And so now the next verse that we get to in here, I, I question whether I should put it in at all because it's definitely confusing. Um, it gets lost in translation. So what I'll do is I'll read it and then I'll go back and I'll explain it just a second. So here's what it says. It says, if only we knew. So the implication there is we don't know. We don't know. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath, and we hate that word, right? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. It's kind of confusing. It's a, it's a poorly constructed sentence, definitely in English, but the problem is they're taking these Hebrew th- words and they're trying to move them over to English. And believe it or not, this is the best translation that we have. So let me do this. Instead of translating it word to word to word, let me just give you and given it exactly what it says. Let me tell you what it means. A little paraphrase is this. If we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence he is due. Moses pauses in the midst of his prayer while he's explaining things, and he says, wow, man, if we could somehow see the grandeur, the glory, the bigness of God, then we would give him automatically, this would be our reflex, the reverence, the respect, the awe, the admiration that he is due. Moses is saying God is everlasting to everlasting. That's the scope of the cosmos that we're looking at. And we, in the middle of that, are just a little blip. We're right here, right? We're just a little grass that comes up and then it goes away. We're like this itsy bitsy, tiny, 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 teeny, 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 teeny little sliver of existence for a moment in the, in, in the scope of everlasting to everlasting. And so Moses is saying, in light of that, because of that, isn't it makes sense, isn't it rational to make your life not about your life, to make your life about God and everlasting to everlasting? Doesn't it make more sense to jump on what God's doing than to try to make something big about here? We need to give him the glory that he is due. Another way to say that sentence is this. We could say, if we could see as God is, we would be more careful with the time we've been allotted. I think it's good, I really do, to pause every once in a while and to contemplate the brevity of our life in the context of everlasting to everlasting. And the reason why is because what Moses is telling us is that the fact is our lives are limited. And this will indirectly and eventually directly impact how you balance your life and how you balance your time. And he's saying we are just a blip. We're just so small. And so what do we do with that? Verse 12, this is the verse we've been waiting for. This is the principle that he's talking about. So he's saying in light of all that, in light of the scope that I am everlasting to everlasting, Moses says this. He says, teach us teach us. And so we we don't do this naturally, so we need to learn it. So teach us to number our days. Or another way to say that is to teach us to live as if our days are numbered. I don't know what it is, but for some reason we have a tendency as human beings to live as if our days are not numbered, that we are going to live forever. We may not believe that, but we kind of live that way, don't we? And Moses is like, no, 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 stop. 
Stop. Don't do that. You're making a mistake. If you live that way, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to have regrets, right? And he's saying to live as though your days are numbered because they are. They really, really are. And so Moses continues. He says, teach us to number our days that. Now, right, that means that we're leading to something, meaning that there is a point to all this. Here's the result. He's saying that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So the result of numbering your days or living accordingly as if your days are numbered is wisdom. We gain wisdom when we live that way on what to put into our schedule, what to take off of our calendar, what our priorities should be, how to actually balance our life. When we live and begin to number our days, we immediately gain wisdom. We get perspective and we can see clearly that I need to stop doing this part in my life. I can't give any more time to that. Or maybe when we number our days and we live as though our days are numbered, we're like, oh my gosh, I need to start doing more of that. I need to add that into my life. Or I need to do, maybe it's not that extreme. Maybe it's I need to do less of this or I need to do more of that. But when we start to number our days, that becomes more clear. We gain that wisdom. And so let me paraphrase. Let me back everything up and summarize the entire passage that Moses just talked about. Here's what it is. It says, remembering that our time is limited provides us with the wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. Did you hear that? Remembering that our time is limited provides us with the wisdom, the insight to know how to spend our time. The truth is, you guys, we can't do everything. We can't. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, that's the best thing I heard so far, Jake. I can't do everything? That's like a relief. That's a release because we try and we try and we try to do everything. But God is telling us, Moses is telling us, we can't do everything. Our time is limited. So we need to remember that our time is limited because we have a tendency to forget that our time is limited. And by doing that, it provides us with the wisdom to know how to spend the short amount of limited time that we have. There's a lady named Bronnie Ware, and she's an Australian nurse. Here's a picture of her. Specifically, what she does is she works in hospice. And so what she does is she spends the last 12 weeks with people in their lives. They're, they're passing away, they're dying, and she will spend the last 12 weeks with them. She'll get to know them, right, relationally, and ask them questions, learn about their loves and their life. But in the process of doing this throughout the years, she actually um, started to ask them questions about their regret, regrets. Not just what they loved, but their regrets. And crazy enough, she started to notice a pattern that people were saying the same thing as they were passing away. And so she, she decided to actually write it down, and she wrote a book on this. And, um, and then I want to give you, from that book, kind of the top two regrets that she discovered over years, years and years of listening to people in their last hour, in their last days, in their last weeks, and what they had to say as far as the regrets that they had in life. And so I'm going to start with the second one, and then we'll move to the first one. And you'll probably catch this. You'll probably realize, well, the second one is what I thought the first one would be. Okay? And so the second one is this. It's, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. That was the number two regret. No surprise there. We've all heard that, right? But here's what Bronnie said about this. Here's the insight she put down. She said, this came from every male patient that I nursed. 
They miss their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but as most of them were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All of them, let me repeat this, all the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much time of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Here's what this means for both men and women. This means that if we don't learn to number our days, then we will, we have the potential to misspend our time, to misspend our life, and we can get to the end of our lives and we will have an avoidable regret. Unavoidable regret. That means it's a regret we could have avoided before we got there. That's huge. For some reason, we think we have all the time in the world, don't we? We have all the time in the world to spend with our kids. All the time in the world to spend with our spouse. All the time in the world to get things right with God. All the time in the world to do this or all the time in the world to do that. All the time in the world. And then all of a sudden we realize that, oh my gosh, we don't have all the time in the world and we can't go back. We can't go back. You only get to be 20 once. You only get to be 30 once. You only get to be 40 a couple times, right? So... We can't go back. We can't undo. We can't try again. The greatest or the second greatest regret is that I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Here's number one. The number one regret, and if you're a teenager, if you're a college student, if you're a grad student, I'm telling you, lean on in on this one. This is so important. I can't wait for the day when I get to sit down with my kids when they're teenagers and I get to talk to them about this. The number one regret that people have when they're passing away is this. They say, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. That's huge. I'm gonna read that again. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others, your parents or culture expected of you. Here's what Bronnie had to say about that. She said, this was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it, was, or it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even half, think about that, half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it is due to the choices they made or not made. And then this is so powerful right here. Don't, you got to catch this. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. I'm going to shoot straight with you right now. I have been wrestling kind of for a while on this topic of this right here, of, um, of how often I should talk about my daughter Magnolia. I was given some advice when I first started this church from a very wise individual who told me that you should limit the amount of times that you talk about Maggie. And the reason why, he said, was because, um, first off, very few people will be able to relate to something like that. Uh, they said that it might get tired of the story and it could even use, lose its impact. And, uh, and so I have limited, as I've come up here, there's been talks I've given where I've thought, ah, oh, man, this is perfect for that. I experienced that firsthand. But I don't want to keep telling Maggie stories over and over again. And if you don't know, we lost our daughter Maggie, Maggie a little while ago. 
But I went to a funeral this last week. And while I was at that funeral, I was chatting with people, people that were up in age, telling me about the pain that they endured, the people that they lost. And I realized that as a pastor, I am uniquely shaped to speak to this issue, right? This is, I I walked through something very few people walk through. And I'm uniquely, as a pastor, able to speak to that matter of pain or that level of perspective when it comes to the brevity of time and our time here on earth. And as I was flying back home, I had the thought, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to restrain. I'm going to share about what God has uniquely shaped me to be able to do. And you might get tired of hearing about Maggie. I'm sorry, you know. There are other churches that don't talk about Maggie, okay? But here's the thing. I'm not going to stop doing that because God allowed us to walk through this. It gave us the the strength and the courage to go plant this church, and I'm not going to stop talking about what God called me to do. And so here's what happened with us. We were unfortunately blessed. Those are two terrible words to put together, two weird words. Unfortunately blessed with a perspective, this perspective that Moses is talking about, that Brawny is talking about, about the brevity of life, the shortness of life. Because I thought that I had a lifetime with Maggie. I did. I thought I would watch her lose her bike. I was expecting that I was going to coach her first soccer team. I thought that was going to happen. I'd come home and I'd freak out all night until she got back, right? I thought that was going to happen. I thought I was going to meet her first boyfriend and put the fear of God in that little punk, right? I thought that was going to happen. I thought I was going to walk her down the aisle. I thought I would dance with her at her wedding. I thought I'd hold her baby, you know? But time ran out. Time ran out. Friends, you never know. You never know. You don't know. And so remembering that our time is limited provides us with the wisdom. This was given to us when we found out that we had limited time with Maggie to know how to spend our limited time. And so here's what we did. When we found out, when we got the diagnosis that we had nine months with Maggie at the best, right, that nine months is going to be all you get, it changed, right? The time is limited, so then we had limited amount of time, and we changed what we were going to do. So here's what we did. We slowed down a lot, slowed down a lot, and then we savored, or at least we tried to savor every second that we had with her, every single second. We played outside a lot more. We went to Northwest Trek, where I grew up in Eatonville. We swam in Grandma Tutu's pool, which is something we did ever so often, but now we did it a lot more. Make a wish, because the diagnosis of my daughter threw a princess ball for her in Magnolia's honor. And at the end of that magical, magical day, Maggie belted out, let it go with her sister to hundreds of family members and friends. We finally flew to the happiest place on earth. It's where we met all the princesses and we watched all the parades and we went on almost all the rides, but Maggie wasn't tall enough, right? We played in the mountain snow. When we got our Christmas tree, we attended the Nutcracker Ballet. We participated in a candlelight service on Christmas Eve 
And then on Christmas morning, we got up and we gathered around the tree and we opened our stockings and Maggie was so thrilled, so thrilled. We took rocks walks around our neighborhood. We didn't do that before. We took the girls to the Seattle Aquarium and we took naps together a lot. And I loved it. We went to the movies. We went bowling. We went to the butterfly exhibit in Seattle. We finally, this was a great day, we finally got to meet baby brother Percy. And then we tried to take family pictures just like everybody else. (laughs) We went hiking in the woods. We hunted Easter eggs on Easter. We went fishing in Montana. I took my girl fishing. We flew to the shores of Hawaii and we played in the sand while we were there. We decorated cakes at Pinkabella's. We floated in a hot air balloon. We held baby bunnies at Peyton's ranch. We went to Hood Canal, the family cabin, one last time. We ate dinners almost every single night. We said, I love you a lot. And we even said it when we could no longer talk, when she could no longer speak. And then we said goodbye for now. And that time, you guys was both excruciating and sacred. But what came with that time that, that, you know, I probably will never fully appreciate because if I had the choice to go back and change it, I would, everything I learned, I'd throw it away just to have her back. Every, most dads would do that. But it came with a new perspective. It gave us a new perspective on life. We knew quickly and immediately, knowing the limits of life firsthand, exactly what Moses is talking about here, exactly what Bronnie is talking about here. We knew what was important in our limited time. And it was so heightened of a time that we went and we did that. We did those things. And it was crystal clear, that perspective of what was important. It brought immediate wisdom that we didn't know that we had. Now, here's the deal. Since then, it's been a little over two years since Maggie passed. A little over two years. We have moved back into normal life. And we walk through this experience, and in the back of my head, I know what's important. I know what we walk through. I have that perspective. It's still in there, but yet, I'm like everybody else, and I still struggle with what to do and how to balance our time. You know? I wrestle, should I do this? It was super clear then, but yet, like normal life, I wrestle with this, but yet it's still inside of there, that knowledge and that feeling and that wisdom. Pastor Garrett has said this many times when he's sitting in my office. He said, I want to learn what you have learned without experiencing what you experienced. And so here you go, okay? Here's what we learned without you having to experience what we experienced. We learned that remembering that our time is limited provides us with the wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. Remembering that. Remembering that our time is limited because it is will change how you spend your limited time. And for some of you, I know that there's gonna be some pushback on this, right? For some of you, you're going to push back and you say, I get all that, Jake, I get all that. But, you know, uh, man, if I don't do as much as I possibly can, then, 
then I'll never make it. If I don't do as much as I possibly can, then I'll never make it. Let me ask you a question, friend. What is it? Right? What is it? It's very important that you figure out what that is. Because you could go, as Bronnie has demonstrated and wrote in her book, you could go your whole life and you can get to the end and you could be living for the wrong it. It's very clear when you're in that moment and life is fleeting in that moment. But what is it? We don't want to live for the wrong it. Maybe you're thinking, I got to do as much as possible, much as possibly can because I don't want to fall behind. I don't want to fall behind. Fall behind what? Truly. We grew up in Eatonville. It was like slow motion. This place is boom, boom, boom. Go, go, go. And what did Jesus say in his words? So wise. The last shall be first. And we're racing to be first, are we not? The last shall be first. And so let's take a breath, right? We don't have to do as much as we possibly can. Maybe you're like, I got to do as much as I possibly can or I'll be poor. Dude, welcome to the club, okay? It's a, it's a great club. We just bought a house. We got nothing now, all right? It's gone kind of thing. But I have gone on mission trips, mission trips, and I've been over there and I've seen people who are really poor. And they're some of the happiest, most content people that I've ever met in my life, in my life. And so we don't need to rush, rush, rush. Remembering that our time is limited provides us with the wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you some homework this week. Don't normally do this, but you get homework. So here you go. I want you to spend time thinking about this. The ushers are going to come right now, and they're going to hand you a card. And so while these cards are being passed, just go ahead and look at the screen, and I'll explain what this is. Right? This is a card to help you to bring clarity around how we are to limit our time. There's a plus sign on here for what should I add into my life that is not there currently? What is missing that needs to be inside of there? When I know that I have limited time, what needs to be added to there? And what do you need to take away? There's a negative sign there saying what needs to completely leave to be out altogether? Honestly, for some of you, you, you might need to write a name down there of a person. And I'm not saying it's because they're a bad person, but maybe that's, they're taking up the wrong parts of your life. Or maybe it's not just to take them out completely. Maybe it's you need to, those are the other symbols there, to spend less time with them or to spend more time doing this activity. This is a very simplified way to help us to think through our limited time and what do we need to do. Then put it on your fridge, put it on your mirror in your house to just be a remind you, hey, my time is limited. So how am I gonna spend my limited time? Okay, super important. So to end, I wanna end with this one thought. Do you know what the number one question when it comes to time is? You guys know what that is? What's the number one question people ask about time? That's it. What time is it? We live in a culture that is so crazy aware of what time it is. Every once in a while, you will lose track of time, right? You'll lose yourself in a book. Maybe you fell asleep while the preacher was talking. I don't know. You quickly recover. You find your phone. You get your watch. And you're like, oh, I know what time it is. I'm back on. You see a clock, right? 
The number one question that people ask about time is what time is it? I think there's a better question and I think you'd agree. The better question that we should ask is what are we doing with our time? What are we doing with our time? And here's my prayer for you. My prayer for you in this, and I just wanted to be clear on this. I didn't tell you these are the things that you should spend your time doing. I didn't give you a priority list. I did not, because if you got my priority list, you'd stop drinking coffee because I think it tastes gross and you're wasting your time on that, right? Or I'd say you gotta go fishing every single day because that's super important, right? This is what my priority list would be and then I would have no family. But, um, <laughs> but I didn't give you a list, but there is one thing I think you need to prioritize and that is this, to find balance in your time is to make God a priority. Make God a priority. Like balance, here's a crazy thing. You're not going to find the word priority in the Bible. Maybe in some translations, but it's not in there. But the equivalent to the word priority inside of the Bible, by biblically speaking, is the word seek. Seek. And it's all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. People are going out and they're seeking him. And we're going to end our time with the most famous seeking verse that there is found in Matthew 6. This is what it says. It says, seek first or prioritize first. Put this first. If there's something that you're not doing, add it or do more of this. Saying, seek first his kingdom. That's God's kingdom and his righteousness. So seek him out who he is. And all these things will be given unto you. Pastors will take that verse and they'll take it out of context and they'll say, all your wants and all your desires will be given to you. That's not what that verse means. It means all of your needs will be given to you. Everything that you need to get through in life, God promises he will give you if you prioritize him first. And so friends, I'm telling you, from experience, from experience of watching time slip away and to know the brevity of it and the frailty of the time and how limited it is, I am begging you to, to put God first, to prioritize him and to live your life as if your time is limited because it is. And if you do that, God promises that he will help you to know how you need to prioritize your time and how you need to spend and balance your time. So important. Let's pray.